Open your Bibles with me to Zechariah chapter 1. I've decided to start over in the book of Zechariah. No, I'm kidding. Um, We're going to be in Zechariah 5, but I want to set up some things before we go there. And I wanted to say this. As as we were singing, um, those of you that are in my class, uh, Kelly asked a question about the verse in Luke chapter 17 where Jesus said the kingdom of God is within you or is in you. And the question was, was Jesus saying that the kingdom of God was in the Pharisees? And it struck me as I was standing up here that that's what thee is for in your Bible. If he said the kingdom of God is in, is in thee, then it w- the kingdom of God would be in that Pharisee. But you is the general term. So that's, that's the expl- explanation for that, that the location for the kingdom of God is in the individual, but not specifically in that Pharisee. So those of you who weren't in the class, you have no idea what I'm talking about, but I didn't want to leave that hanging. So isn't that, that's the explanation. That, that's the purpose of the thee and the thou. That's the singular. The you is the more general term. All right? Um, Zechariah chapter 1. Let's have a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for Grace Baptist Church, your faithful people. And Lord, it's so wonderful to be back home here to preach in my own pulpit, to be with your people that you've gathered in this place. Lord, what a wonderful privilege it is to pastor these people. Lord, thank you. Help me as I preach now. I pray that you'll guide my, my tongue, that you'll um, channel my mind, my thinking, my focus to be able to communicate your word in the way that you would have it today. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to go to Zechariah chapter 5, but I want you to see where we've been because there's a marked change in direction in Zechariah 5. So look at Zechariah 1 and look at verse 13. And the Lord answered the angel that talked with me with good words and comfortable words. So the angel that communed with me said unto me, Cry thou, saying, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, I am jealous for Jerusalem and for Zion with a great jealousy. God loves and He's jealous for His land. Is that right? But He loves His people. Look at what it says in Zechariah chapter 2, verse 8. For thus saith the Lord of hosts, After the glory hath He sent me unto the nations, which spoiled you. For he that toucheth you toucheth the apple of his eye. He cares about Israel. You mess with Israel, you're messing with the apple of God's eye. I think that's a bad idea. Would you all agree with me on that? We need to be careful in our relationship with Israel. Now, understand that in evangelicalism today, you have a broad spectrum of people who believe. Some people believe that Christ is going to return and and the rapture is going to take place. He's going to establish His kingdom and and deal with Israel. Um, There are others who they just reject that. They don't believe that, that current Israel is Israel at all. And there's a major portion of evangelical Christianity that thinks that we ought to cut Israel off, that we shouldn't have anything to do with them. And that would be, uh, on on the liberal end, the World Council of Churches, all of that, they're completely against Israel, they're for Palestine. And then um, even in conservative Christianity, those who hold to a strict form of covenant theology, they believe that the church replaced Israel, and so they're not Israel at all. God has... God has divorced them, and they're gone. They're not, they're not His people anymore, that we are now His people. And, of course, we would reject that completely if all you had was Zechariah. 
you could see that that is true. Um, so what he's done is he has promised the people, if you look in uh, chapter 2 and verse 10, Sing and rejoice, O daughter of Zion, for lo, I come, and I will dwell in the midst of thee, saith the Lord, and many nations shall be joined to the Lord in that day, and shall be my people, and I will dwell in the midst of thee, and thou shalt know that the Lord of hosts hath sent me, and the Lord shall inherit Judah, his portion in the holy land, and shall choose Jerusalem again. Be silent, O all flesh." Before the Lord, for He is raised up out of His holy habitation. Can't you just see Jesus Christ rising from His seat at the right hand of the Father? And He's getting ready to come back and take His place in Jerusalem. That's awesome. That's coming, isn't that right? But you understand there's a lot of history that takes place between when God promised this and when He actually returns. There's a lot of things that are going to take place. Now let's go to Zechariah chapter 5. And I want you to see a shift. It's a shift from encouragement to the promise of judgment for those who reject Him. Look at chapter 5, verse 1. Then I turned and lifted up mine eyes and looked, and behold, a flying roll. And we said last week that that's not a cinnamon roll or a Bismarck or anything like that. It is... How many of you don't have any idea what a Bismarck is? Would you raise your hand? How many of you know exactly what I'm talking about? with See? It's, all, it's the old people like me. You all know what that is. But it, what is it? It's a, it's a scroll. It's a, probably a single roll of, uh, of writing. And we looked at that from Ezekiel 2, 9 through 3, 3. Then in verse 2, And he said unto me, What seest thou? And I answered, I see a flying roll. The length thereof is 20 cubits, and the breadth thereof is, 15, or is 10 cubits. So it's about 30 by 15 uh, feet. Then said he unto me, This is the curse that goeth forth over the face of the whole earth. This is the curse. When we look at this scroll, it says on one side, it says this. Look at verse, the middle of verse 3. For everyone that stealeth shall be cut off as on this side according to it, and everyone that sweareth shall be cut off as on that side according to it. So here you have this 30 foot by 10 foot roll, and it's unrolled and it has writing on one side, Thou shalt not steal. And as writing on the other side, Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. Don't swear falsely. And you understand that the Ten Commandments are divided into two tables. The middle of the one table is Thou shalt not steal. The middle of the other table is Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. Not going to swear falsely. So what is this? This is the heart of the law. This is the heart of the law. So what we see, let, let, let's read on, verse 3. Then said, he, uh, then said he unto me, This is the curse that goeth forth over the face of the whole earth. For everyone that stealeth shall be cut off, as on this side according to it. And everyone that sweareth shall be cut off, as to that side according to it. I will bring it forth, saith the Lord of hosts, and it shall enter into the house of the thief, and into the house of him that sweareth falsely by my name, and it shall remain in the midst of his house, and shall consume it with the timber thereof and the stones thereof. So the context here is that sin must be purged. Sin must be purged. Now, I love that song that Aaron and Maureen sang. And why would God give his mercy and grace to us? Only because he's full of mercy and grace. 
We don't deserve it. Do you all agree with that? We don't deserve it. And this, that, that wonderful promise of salvation and the gift of hope and eternal life that He's offered to us, that's such a stunning thing. And we can, we can just take it for granted. You understand that we have an entire world around us that's lost and they're going to hell. Now, I'm not saying that only us are going to heaven. You don't have to be a Baptist to go to heaven. You have to place your faith and trust in Christ alone for your eternal life. Whatever you put on yourself after that doesn't matter. Well, it matters, but not for your salvation. The only thing that matters for your salvation is that you're trusting in Christ alone. What is the gospel? It's the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ according to the Scriptures. And that's accomplished in your life by repentance toward God and faith toward Jesus Christ. Repentance toward God. What is that? That you are turning away. It's a, it's a choice to turn away from your sin and from whatever else you've been counting as God and turning toward Him. And the only way that you can do that is by faith in what Jesus Christ did on the cross to pay for your sin. Isn't that wonderful? See, in Zechariah, God has promised His presence to His people. And that presence is in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, their Messiah. That's what He's promised them. All of those Levitical laws, all of the the temple sacrifices, all of the temple implements, all of the feasts, every bit of that, it all speaks of Jesus Christ. Is that right? And it all points to Him. And then when He came, they rejected Him. So what does God say is going to happen? Well, sin has to be purged. Sin has to be cared for. And that's what this text is about. Sin must be purged. If we are to be in fellowship with God, this fellowship must be through what is written in the Word of God. All that is contrary to what is written in the Word of God will be brought into judgment. You all agree with that? Yes. He loves us and He loves the world, but He cannot ignore sin. Now, last week we looked at the verse in 1 Peter chapter 4 where the Bible says judgment must begin at the house of God. Judgment must begin at the house of God. And then we looked at uh, Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 5 where the Bible says that God's going to chasten everyone that's His. If you're His and you reject His rebuke, you're going to be scourged. And He says that He chastens everyone that He calls. So if you're saved, you will be chastened. So what does that mean? Okay, let me get your attention here. Don't miss this. If you're asleep, wake up just for these next two sentences. Okay, really important. There are things that you could temporarily get away with before you got saved. Now, I say temporarily because all sin is going to be judged. Is that right? But in this life, you might temporarily get away with something... When you become a child of God, now He will chasten you. Now, I won't ask for a testimony, but I'm sure that there are people in this room who would say, yes, I understand what it means to be chastened by God. Can I tell you something? It's not joyous. It's grievous. That's what it says in Hebrews. Is that right? No chastening for the moment seemeth joyous, but it's it's painful. Wouldn't it be better just to obey Wouldn't that be better? So let me say this. When the Word of God enters into your house, it has the potential to bring great joy and great pleasure 
and great liberty, but it also has the potential to bring in great sorrow. Isn't that what Solomon said? With much learning comes great sorrow. Why? Because once truth is seen, it can't be unseen. And to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. Now, we could say, well, let's just close the book then and let's get the Andy Griffith Sunday School material and let's look for moral things from The Simpsons. How many of you knew that there are Sunday School material based on The Simpsons? How many of you knew that? How many of you are shocked? I promise you, it exists. We're not going to do that here at Grace Baptist Church. But let's say that we did that, that we closed the Bible and we said from now on, because it's just too heavy, we're going to go away from that. It's too late. You all are accountable for too much truth already. How many of you would agree with that? Right? We know what the Bible says. Um, I can't remember who it was that said it. He said, it's not the things in the Bible that I don't understand that bother me. It's the things that I do understand. Amen? And because of the, just the Scriptures and simple faith and trust in the words of the Bible that we have, we know a lot about the Bible now. Now, do we know as much as we should? No, but, but we've learned some stuff. Well, we're accountable for that. And so the Bible says that sin must be purged. The Bible says that He'll chasten those that are His, that it begins at the house of God, and we see that with the temple in the Old Testament, with the church in the New Testament. So what's going to happen? Well, what is this curse? Go back to Zechariah. Zechariah chapter 5, look at verse 3. So he's described this role, which has the heart of the law on each side of it. And he says in verse 3, This said he unto me, This is the curse that goeth forth over the face of the whole earth. This is the curse that goeth forth over the face of the whole earth. I told you that there's a shift. It's a shift from comforting words to judgment. And this, this is expressed, this curse or this judgment is expressed with these, for, these words that goeth forth. It goeth forth. Look at verse 3, uh, verse three again. Do you see that? This is the curse that goeth forth. Um, if you look at verse 4, I will bring it forth, saith the Lord of hosts. Then um, look at verse 5. Then the angel that talked with me went forth and said unto me, Lift up now thine eyes and see what is this that goeth forth. And it's, it's judgment. It's judgment. We'll see that tonight. Oh, let me say this. Everybody, check this out. We're going to finish Zechariah chapter 5 tonight. All right? And you're not going to believe what's there. Do, does anyone here know someone that is a part of the Roman Catholic Church. I want you to see tonight the religious system that's described in Zechariah chapter 5. We're going to look at it tonight. You don't want to miss it. I promise you, you do not want to miss it. But we need to get through this this morning, all right? So where was I? Um, this judgment that's going to go forth. So uh, what I want to do now is I want to describe, in, in this message, I've titled it, uh, This is the Curse. This is the Curse. What is this curse? Well, it's the instrument of God's purging judgment. 
the, the curse is the instrument of God's purging judgment. And look at what it is. It's that roll. And that roll enters into the house of the thief and into the house of him that sweareth falsely in verse 4 by my name. And it shall remain in the midst of his house and it shall consume it with the timber thereof and with the stones thereof. So let me say this. The, the instrument of God's righteousness or the instrument of God's curse is the law. We're going to demonstrate that from the Bible. But have you noticed that everybody wants to establish their own standard for righteousness and their own standard for judgment? Right? You have my dad, when he was in Sunday school as a boy, um, he, he got scared to death because his Sunday school teacher said, when you die, there's going to be a scale and your good works are going to be put on one side of the scale and your bad works are going to put on the, be put on the other side of the scale. And whichever way it tips, that's the direction that you're going to go. And my dad knew he wasn't good. And so he was scared to death that he was going to go to hell. He was told that when he was about nine years old. He got saved as a senior in high school. Someone invited him. My dad was a track star, you know, state champion, Colorado, all this stuff. And one of the, one of the guys on the track team in high school invited him to church. Park Hill Baptist Church in Pueblo, Colorado, and Dad got saved. And all of us, our lives are changed. My whole family has changed because a 17-year-old boy invited a friend to church. Don't miss that, man. You don't understand the influence that you have. You don't understand the influence you have. But you understand that how many people think that there's this scale? Well, if you wanted to use the picture of the scale, let me tell you how it works. You have your sin on the one side. Your righteousness on the other is non-existent. If you want to go to heaven, you know what needs to be on that other side? The righteousness of Christ. That's the only way. And, you know, 2 Corinthians 5.21 basically says that. He who knew no sin, that's Jesus. He's completely clean. I'm completely covered up in sin. He who knew no sin was made to be sin for us, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. That Jesus Christ bore my sin so that I can be clean. People want to establish their own justice. And something that I think is really important for us to understand is the way that our country was founded. I want you to think about something. In the Declaration of Independence, it says this, When in the course of human events it becomes necessary for one people to dissolve the political bands which have connected them with another and to assume among the powers of the earth the separate and equal station to which the laws of nature and of nature's God entitle them, a decent respect to the opinions of mankind requires that they should declare the causes which impel them to the separation. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their Creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Then they end it with this, and for the support of this declaration... With a firm reliance on the protection of divine providence, we mutually pledge to each other our lives, our fortunes, and our sacred honor. Does that sound anything like our government now? Gay marriage, kill babies, feed everyone that doesn't want to work. Right? Well, just that's completely opposite. What's the difference? Because now our moral standard, which was the Word of God, is gone. And, and, and understand that whether those men who established the nation were born again or not, some of them were, some of them weren't. 
whether they were Christians or not, they all had respect for the morality that comes from God. That's the standard. People like to have their own standard. The Bible says this, For we dare not make ourselves of the number or compare ourselves with some that commend themselves. But they, measuring themselves by themselves and comparing themselves among themselves, are not wise. See, what, what the world does is they compare themselves to someone else and they say that we are better. And let me say this. In the, in the liberal mindset... The, um, the, the mindset that wants to destroy who we are. What they do is they compare America and its past to some utopian ideal that exists nowhere. Right? And they find, out, they find ways to just um, destroy the reputations of all of those who came before them. Why? Because there was a morality that those men held. A moral character. And if you can destroy their moral character, then you can destroy the basis for their laws, in it, which is what? The Constitution. If you destroy the moral basis for the Constitution, then you can sweep it out of the way. And what will that bring in? Totalitarianism. What is totalitarianism? It was coined by Mussolini, the father of fascism, to mean a government that cares for every aspect of the individual's total existence. That's where we're headed. Because we're moving from the rights of the individual to the importance of the collective. What did God do? In the New Testament, He moved away from the nation to the individual. And that's why we understand. That's where we understand that every one person is a free moral agent before God and must be treated as a divine creation. Amen? And that changes everything. It changes everything. And so, what's happened? People are getting their own standard by which to judge. Uh, remember, I was... Um, oh, i got to tell you this. I was on a plane from Washington week before last or whatever, coming home. And I was on the aisle, and there was a guy sitting on the seat. He was in a suit. The seat in between me was empty until the other guy came. And so he said, where are you going? I said, I'm going home. And I asked him where he was going. He's going to Iowa. What do you do for a living? I'm a computer programmer. He said, what do you do? I said, I'm a pastor. And he said, my husband's a pastor. He could have said, my husband is an alien from, you know, wherever. And I would not have expected that any less than I would have expected my husband's a pastor. And um, I said, really? He said, yeah, outside of Chicago. And I said, I like Chicago. Chicago's a neat place. <laughs> it, it was such a shocking thing. That's where our nation is, folks. That's where we are. Now, how many of you understand that a pastor is supposed to be the husband of one wife? The wife is a woman. Right? So, Just in case anyone here didn't understand the problem with this discussion. So, where are we with this? Well, there's a standard. There's a standard that's been removed. The Bible says, remove not the ancient landmark. The ancient landmark that's speaking of is God has 
divided up the land for the Jews don't change that. That's, that's the context of that in Proverbs, or that's the, the meaning of it. We have a landmark, and our landmark is the Word of God. That's the standard of morality and truth. And we're supposed to judge sin based on this, not based on someone's feelings or someone that I know. Um, our senator, Rob Portman, came out for gay marriage because his son is gay. You see, my truth is not supposed to be based on my family experience. My truth is supposed to be based on the Word of God and on the, on the laws of nature, natural law that were established by nature's God. That's what it says. Is that right? And nature's God did not intend there to be homosexuality. That's an abomination. As a matter of fact, the Bible says that it goes against nature. Isn't that interesting? The words of our declaration mimic the words of Scripture, which establish that, that homosexuality is a crime against humanity. Because if they had their way, there would be no more people. Do I need to explain that? No. No. So what do we have? We have a, this moving deck, like a, like a ship, and you're on that deck, and it's, it's like something that's not weighted down in your standard. It's, it's just moving all over the place when God has established a standard. Look with me at, um, let me read to you, a false balance is an abomination to the Lord, but a just weight is His delight. Proverbs 11, 1. Proverbs 20, verse 23 says, Diverse weights are an abomination unto the Lord, and a false balance is not good. Look at 1 Samuel 2 with me. I want you to see something. 1 Samuel chapter 2. First Samuel chapter 2. We're looking at this idea of the curse that comes into the world, enters into people's houses, and devours the houses. Okay? This is the curse, which is the law, and we'll look at that in a minute. People want to use their own standard, but God says no. Look at 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 2. There is none as there is none holy as the Lord, for there is none beside thee, neither is there any rock like our God. Talk no more so exceeding proudly. Let not arrogancy come out of your mouth. For the Lord is a God of knowledge. And look, and by Him actions are weighed. You see that? By Him actions are weighed. Well, I think, well, it really doesn't matter what you think. What matters is what did God say? Actions are weighed by Him and He despises a false balance. And then he says, all of you people who are comparing yourselves by yourselves, that is not wise. So what is this curse? Go to Romans chapter 7, verse 10. Let's look at this quickly. Um. As you go to Romans 7, when you get to Romans 7, look up here at me. One of the things that I think is missing in a lot of preaching and teaching 
is the so what. Why, why does this matter? Why is this important? When I speak to young preachers, I, I try to tell them, when you preach, make sure that you give them handles so that they can carry your sermon home. What are they supposed to do with this? What does this mean? Why am I spending this time on this concept of a moving standard and the idea that the, that the Word of God is what's going to judge? Because we don't understand how much we are influenced by our culture. We don't understand. The immorality that surrounds us would be stunning to someone who, if, if, if someone from 70 years ago could just step foot into America, they would be stunned. We don't understand. And especially in areas like homosexuality, um, fornication, you know, sexual relationship outside of marriage, um, especially in those areas, abortion, it would blow your mind how many Christians think it's okay to kill a baby. And this is what I started to tell you a minute ago. I was on uh, an airplane flying with a lady who was an administrator at Wright State. She's in charge of the discipline there. And uh, we were talking about, how, she was talking about how hard it is to discipline these kids, to get them to do right. And um, we started talking about Christianity. She said that she was a Christian and that um, she wanted to know if we accepted homosexuals in our church. And I said, of course we do. I said, they need to be saved. And I said, now, you know, we would teach them that that behavior is sin. And she said, well, I don't think that's right. And I said, do you believe in Jesus? She said, yes, and I don't think Jesus would do that. I said, that's because you're not believing in the Jesus of the Bible. You've created your own Jesus. And um, then she mentioned abortion, and we talked about that. I said, I said, oh, you mean abortion? Let me make sure, let me, let me make sure we're talking about the same thing. You're talking about killing babies? Is that what you're talking about? She said, well. And I said, okay, well, let's talk about this. You think that that's okay. How about I kill you? And she said, well, and I said, well, you're inconvenient to me right now. <laughs> and I said, when you apply logic to a conversation, it changes the conversation. I said, of course, you know, I'm not going to kill you. We're using that as an example. But... You, would you think that it would be wrong for me to kill you? She said, yes. I said, why? She said, because it's against the law. I said, why is it against the law? She said, well, society has decided that that's wrong. I said, really? Is that where that came from? She said, well, I'm not sure. I said, let me tell you where it came from. Thou shalt not kill. That's where it came from. I said, if you don't have an absolute standard, then anything goes. When we can deem some people as inconvenient and others as not, uh, th this, here's, the, here's the term, um, worthless eaters, right? That's the term that was used in Nazi Germany. So the people that were nonproductive, if they were mentally handicapped or couldn't fulfill a job, well, they were just killed. They were just killed. Why? Because what we are looking at now is quality of life instead of sanctity of life. See the difference? What's the difference? 
an absolute moral standard, thou shalt not kill. So we as believers, we must understand that much of what it calls what, much of what calls itself Christianity disagrees with us. The, the subject of social justice that's being forced on everyone. There's a guy named Jim Wallace, and he's the head of a group called, um, I think it's the Sojourners. And what are they're, they're Marxists who are calling themselves Christians. Um, I heard him in a debate with um, Albert Moeller from Southern Seminary, where Brian goes. And... Moeller said this, well, there's no such thing as, ju as social justice. There's only justice. And God is the just and the justifier of those that believe. That's justice. That's the standard. And so Wallace, you know, he tap dances around that. Why? Because as a Marxist, his core is his social agenda. As believers, our core is the word of God. Is that right? And so the reason that I've got to make sure that here's the handle that you've got to take home. Everyone does not believe, agree with what we're saying here today. We're, we can sit here and say, yeah, pastor, I know this. Yes, but you do not know something until you can tell it to someone else. We've got to make sure that we understand how important this concept of this curse is. Romans chapter 7, look at verse 10. And the commandment, which was ordained to life, see that? I found to be unto death. For sin, taking occasion by the commandment, deceived me, and by it slew me. Wherefore, the law is holy, and the commandment holy, and just, and good. What happened? This commandment, the law... The law is good. But because I said I'll keep the law, and then I didn't keep the law, now that's death to me. Look at Galatians chapter 3. Galatians chapter 3. What is this curse? The consistency of the Bible is just, it's supernatural. When we look at this curse that enters into the house... And it's the law in Zechariah chapter 5. Look at Galatians chapter 3, verse 10. For as many as are of the works of the law are under the what? Curse. For it is written, Cursed is everyone that continueth not in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. All right, so now understand, these people are under the curse because they didn't keep the law. Now look, here's what people say. Well, that's not fair. Nobody can keep the law. That's not fair. How many of you ever heard somebody say that? I have. That's not fair. Nobody can do that. How can God expect us to do something? That's not fair. Well, that's again just because we're biblically illiterate. Our culture doesn't understand what happened. So let's go find out what happened. Go to Exodus chapter 19. One of the things that's hard for a pastor to do... Um, you know, the young preacher, the 20-year-old preacher, enjoys preaching judgment. The 50-year-old preacher doesn't like preaching judgment. I want to talk to you about God's grace and how wonderful God is. That's why we started with, isn't it great that He saved us? That, that He's offered us His free gift. Look at, look at Exodus chapter 19. What happened? Verse 7. 
And Moses came and called for the elders of the people and laid before their faces all the words which the Lord commanded him. And all the people answered together and said, All that the Lord hath spoken, we will do. And Moses returned the words of the people unto the Lord. Now, you need to understand something. How many of you believe that God is a God of grace and mercy? What happened here? You have a group of prideful, self-righteous people who, when God puts the law before them, says, yeah, no problem, I got this. What should they have said? Moses, please go back and tell God, we can't do this. We can't do this. We need His help. Had God already helped them? Had God already shown Himself mighty to them? Yes. But they said, we can do this. So what happened? Now they are required to do every point. And if you violate in one point, you violate it at all. And they're under the curse. It's the curse. Go with me to Galatians chapter 3 again. Look at verse 13. What a great verse. Um, I am going to, Lord willing, on the Sunday night before the 31st, so I think that's next Sunday night, I'm going to teach you about the number 13. And you're going to be amazed. What, what is our text? Galatians 3. 13. Look at the subject matter. Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree. So that curse of the law the, that these people put on themselves, is that right? That they put on themselves, Christ came and redeemed them from it. He, what is redeemed? He bought them. He purchased them. He bought them back. How? By hanging on a tree. By hanging on the cross. What is that the answer to? What is that the fulfillment of? Go to Deuteronomy chapter 21. Look at verse 22. And if a man have committed a sin worthy of death, and he be put to death, and thou hang him on a tree, his body shall not remain all night upon the tree, but thou shalt in any wise bury him that day. For he that is hanged is accursed of God, that thy land be not defiled, which the Lord thy God giveth thee for an inheritance. Now look, what did Jesus Christ do? There's a sin that's worthy of death. It's a violation of the law. The Bible says in 1 John that sin is any transgression of the law. So they're under that curse. So Jesus Christ was accursed for them by hanging on a tree. He's redeemed them from the curse. If you're here today, I don't, we don't really have very many guests. I think anybody, most of you here, you know the truth. 
you know that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. If you're not saved, you keep hearing the truth and hearing the truth, and your accountability is growing and growing and growing and growing, and that curse on you is getting bigger and greater and more profound and will be there for eternity unless you accept that free gift of eternal life, that sacrifice that He made. He paid for your sin. Look at uh, Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8 and verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus who walk not after the flesh but after the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ hath made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin condemned sin in the flesh that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. So, what God did, what God did was He came to satisfy that law and remove that curse from us. But do you know what's going to happen to everybody who doesn't believe that? That law is still a curse. John chapter 12. John chapter 12. You know, I think there's only one reason why Satan has done so much to attack the Word of God and the believer's confidence in it. And this is why, right here. Look at what the Bible says. John chapter 12, verse 44. Jesus cried and said, He that believeth on me believeth not on me, but on him that sent me. That would be God the Father. And he that seeth me seeth him that sent me. I am come a light into the world, that whosoever believeth on me should not abide in darkness. And if any man hear my words and believe not, I judge him not. For I came not to judge the world, but to save the world. He that rejecteth me and receiveth not my words, hath one that judgeth him. The word that I have spoken, the same shall judge him in the last day. What is it that is going to judge men? It's the word of God. What is going to destroy men? It's the Word of God. I want you to think about our passage in Zechariah chapter 5. Go with me to Revelation chapter 19. And let's compare Revelation 19 to Zechariah chapter 5. Verse 11. Revelation 19 verse 11. And I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, and he that sat upon him was called Faithful and True. And in righteousness he doth judge and make war. His eyes were as a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. And he had a name written that no man knew but he himself. And he was clothed in a vesture dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses clothed in fine linen and white. And out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword that with it he should smite the nations. That sharp sword that goes out of his mouth, what is that? The Word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. That's what the Bible calls it. Remember Ephesians chapter 6? Talking about the armor of faith, the armor of God, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. What does he destroy these nations with? The Word of God. 
the word of God. In, in, Acts, or in uh, Zechariah chapter 5, what is it that comes in? The word of God enters in and it consumes them. It's all burned away. Go to Malachi chapter 4. Last book in the Old Testament, Malachi chapter 4. Verse 1, Malachi chapter 4 and verse 1. For behold, the day cometh that shall burn as an oven... And all the proud, yea, and all that do wickedly, shall be stubble. And the day that cometh shall burn them up, saith the Lord of hosts, and it shall leave them neither root nor branch. But unto you that fear my name shall the Son of righteousness arise with healing in his wings, and ye shall go forth and grow up as calves of the stall. And ye shall tread down the wicked, for they shall be, look at, ashes under the soles of your feet. In the day that I shall do this, saith the Lord of hosts. Look, who is going to do this? I've got a bunch of verses, but my time's gone. It's very important that you understand this. God says that He's going to do it. He's going to do it. You remember in the flood, Genesis chapter 7, who brought the water? Who brought the flood? God did it. He said, I will do this. In the judgment of Sodom and Gomorrah, he said, I will send fire from heaven. The Lord sent the fire from heaven. It's God that does it. When the firstborn in Israel were ki- in Egypt were killed because they disobeyed God, he said, I will pass through. I will kill the firstborn. He said, I will do it. In 1 Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 8, the Lord himself is going to come and judge the people. He's going to come with flaming fire taking vengeance. The Bible says that about the Lord. And then we see it in Revelation chapter 19. He is the one who's going to come and do that. That's why the gospel is the good news. The good news is you don't have to be under that. You don't have to be under that. You can't understand salvation until you understand what you're saved from. Have you trusted Jesus Christ alone for your eternal life? Have you repented of your sin? Because if you don't, that word of God is going to ultimately destroy you. And the Bible says that's what's going to happen in Israel. All those people that have rejected the Word of God, that have sworn by Him falsely, they're thieves, they're living in His land when they've not received Him. He's going to enter into their homes and He's going to destroy them. That's the promise of the Word of God. How many of you like the promise of salvation better? Let's go tell people. Let's go tell them Jesus loves you so much. He died on the cross for you. He loves you so much He wants to give you grace. But the God of grace is also the God of judgment. It's the same God. That's why His mercy is so important. Receive that mercy. So what are, you gonna, what are the handles you're going to take home? This world has a shifting uh, standard. We have one ultimate standard. It's the Word of God. Let's make sure that our life is by that standard. Amen? That can only happen by the power of the Holy Spirit. You can't do it on your own. You can't do it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the opportunity to study it.